As we start our message this morning, the message today is, it will seem like it is not a continuation of our series on guidance, but in in many ways it is. But it is also more of a general um, message on waiting on the Lord, on waiting on the Lord. And the passage of scripture, the first one is in Isaiah chapter 40, verse 31. Isaiah 40, 31, we'll get there in a moment. And if you're in the room and you have trouble finding things in the Old Testament, the gentleman will have it up on the board shortly. We're not going to jump around to a lot of scriptures, but we're going to look at a couple examples to kind of get this perspective of places and times that we wait on the Lord. Sometimes we wait on the Lord when it has to do in guidance. We're waiting on His directions. And there's other times... When we have to wait on the Lord in a situation. And we have a couple of scriptures that we will start with. The first one is in from the book of Isaiah, chapter 40, verse 31. Chapter 40, verse 31. And this is a scripture I was reading in one of my Bibles with the commentary notes at the bottom. That it's a good scripture to memorize. You know, there's some scriptures that are good to memorize. And... And I wouldn't be surprised as I, as I think about this that we might do some memorization again as, uh, in, in our congregation. But it says in Isaiah chapter 40, verse 31, But those who wait on the Lord shall renew their strength. They shall mount up with wings like eagles. They shall run and not be weary. They shall faint, excuse me, they shall walk and not faint. But those who wait upon the Lord shall renew their strengths, they shall mount up with wings like eagles, they shall run and not be weary, they shall walk and not faint. It's a great passage of hope. And the other scripture is in Psalm 62.5. In Psalm 62.5, we just want to lay our mindset in place as we look at some of the other scriptures, and we'll be going into some uh, more uh, narrative scriptures, both in the New Testament and the Old Testament, to illustrate some situations on waiting on the Lord. In Psalm 62, 5, it says, My soul waits silently for God alone, for my expectation is from Him. Wait silently for God alone. In waiting for God alone means that's where my expectation is, is coming from. Wait silently for God alone. I'm not waiting for everybody else. I'm not waiting on every other solution. I'm waiting on God alone. Who are you waiting on? Who is that source of strength that you're depending on? Father God, I ask that as we go in this message today, that you might open our hearts that we might look at how we deal with situations and crisis and guidance and think a little bit deeper. We'd be open to your teaching. We'd be open to your direction. We pray in Jesus' name. Amen. So as we continue our series on guidance, we're going to touch today on waiting on God, as I said, both in general and specific to guidance. You know, In a crisis, we look to God for help or guidance. And there can be a sense of urgency. 
a sense of urgency. I need the guidance now. I need God to do something now. But sometimes we elevate the situation to a crisis status. You maybe have taught or been around children, and they get upset about something, and you say, it's not that bad. You can wait a minute. You know, you go through the store, you get something, and they want to open it right now. You know, you go through and you get your, I don't know, you get your Happy Meal. There's a toy, and they want to play with the toy. It's like you have to eat your whatever, whatever you got in the Happy Meal or whatever it might be. And they're like, they want to eat it now. They want it now. And it's like, I, you can wait. But they get all excited. They get all flustered. They get all, you know, they're almost stomping. And depending on the age of the child, you're going to get a different level of response, right? They talk about the terrible twos, but then sometimes that goes into the threes or fours or 14 or whatever the age might be. But it's that hurry it up. And sometimes things are in a crisis. And we have that fight or flight. But sometimes if we would look at ourselves or we even look at others, some of the, the crisis aren't crisis. Sometimes we elevate our need to know to the point of the same level. Sometimes we want to know stuff, right? Just so we know. You ever, uh, you might know people that they, they, they really have to know. If they hear a little bit about something, they need to know all the details, and they need to know it right away. They can't stand not to know. And sometimes, you know, we, we, can, we can elevate things that aren't as urgent to that we work ourselves into a frenzy. And depending on the situation and depending on our experience, you know, if I talk to, you about, to somebody that's claustrophobic, they don't like the small spaces, and me even talking about it can kind of get them worked up. And so there's things that work together. But we can elevate and make something a crisis maybe that isn't a crisis. We want God to tell us now, I need to know now, and God's like, you don't need to know now. And in our mind and in our body, we invoke all that emotional and physical characteristics of that crisis. And so in linking that to guidance, we, we sometimes, we want to know, we want to understand, we want to see the full path. You know, if we talked about Abraham in our, in our messages in this series, about God sent him and didn't tell him where, can can you picture yourself in that situation that God says, I want you to go, but I'm not going to tell you where yet. I will tell you once you get going. And I'll let you know, but I want to know now. Why can't I know now? Can you, can you tell us like someone, you're trying to take uh, your children your, or, or a loved one or someone to a place and survive them. It's like, well, where are we going? Well, wait, I'll tell you. It's, it's a kind of surprise. But I want to know. And they, they so want to know they don't trust you, it makes you feel like that they can't have the surprise. So
So we're going to talk about two different situations in waiting on the Lord, and both of them can be challenging. Because the first situation is really is a crisis. It really is a challenge, but he still wants us to wait, and it's tough. And it's in Mark chapter 4, verse 35. Mark chapter 4, verse 35. This is a familiar passage to many. Maybe it's new to some, but I think it's a familiar passage. On the same day, when evening had come, he said to them, let us cross over to the other side. This is Jesus. They're on, a, they're on a boat, and they're wanting to go to the other side of the lake, or the, the sea. Now, when they had left the multitude, they took him along in the boat as he was, and other little boats were also with him. And a great windstorm arose, and the waves beat into the boat so that it was already filling. That sounds like a legitimate situation, doesn't it? The boat's filling up with water. That probably is a crisis situation. But he was in the stern, asleep on a pillow, and they awoke him and said to him, Teacher, do you not care that we are perishing? Then arose and rebuked the wind and said to the sea, Peace, be still. And the wind ceased, and there was a great calm. But he said to them, Why are you so fearful? How is it that you have no faith? And they feared exceedingly and said to one another, who can this be that even the wind and the sea obey him? That was a legitimate crisis. And Jesus says, why are you so fearful? And he told the wind and seas to be calm. Well, that can be a hard lesson. Even in a legitimate crisis, if you've been on the water and the waves are coming in, for some people, that's a very stressful thing. For other people, it's not as stressful. It might depend on experience. It just might depend on different things. But Jesus, in the midst of a... Did you realize, did you remember, these are fishermen that are on this boat. These weren't unexperienced people on the water. They've probably seen a few storms, but... The water's coming in, and I don't know what was in their mind that they needed to do. And they're like, hey, don't you care? Jesus is asleep. He cared. He cared, but he says, where's, where's your faith? Well, that really tries our faith when we, we have to wait. We, we, we need rescued. Okay, Lord. Uh, when are you going to rescue me? Okay, when's it going to happen? And he keeps waiting. That's a hard place to be. We're, we're not making, it's not where we've stirred something up into our crisis. That's not this story. This is, it's an actual crisis. Where's God at? He's sleeping in the stern. He's on the boat with you. And so he says, okay, peace be still. Crisis is over. He speaks the word and the crisis is over. It's kind of hard. We're not, it's not just having faith that God can do it. It's having faith that God will do it at the right time. And also having faith that if God doesn't do it, that that's okay too. 
waiting on the Lord. Waiting on the Lord. Now, our other illustration we get from Scripture is an Old Testament illustration. It's a slightly different, and it's a little bit closer to maybe some guidance. But this concept of not moving fast enough, and this one's in 1 Samuel 13. 1 Samuel 13. And in 1 Samuel 13, this story involves someone by the name of Saul. We're going to be reading verses 5 through 14. Saul, now this is not Saul, who later was Paul in the New Testament. That's New Testament. This is Saul of the Old Testament, the first king of Israel, when there was a combined kingdom. Following Saul, you've heard of King David and King David's son Solomon. You've heard of those. Saul was first. And Saul, this is at the time of Samuel. Samuel. And so we're in the book of 1 Samuel. And there was some battle raging and some things that were going on. Now Saul is the king. But there's things for the king to be in leadership. But, but Saul was not a priest. Sacrifices and stuff were the priest's job. Not the king's job. And so... Knowing that, let's look at 1 Samuel, verses 13, and we're going to read 5 through 14. It'll kind of set the stage a little bit. Then the Philistines gathered together to fight with Israel, 30,000 chariots and 6,000 horsemen, and people as the sand which is on the seashore in multitude. And they came up and encamped in Michmash, to the east of beth when the men of Israel saw that they were in danger, for the people were distressed. And the people hid in caves and thickets and rocks and holes and in pits. Some of the Hebrews crossed over the Jordan to the land of Gad and Gilead. As for Saul, he was still in Gilgal, and all the people followed him trembling. Then he waited seven days, according to the time set by Samuel. But Samuel did not come to Gilgal, and the people were scattered from him. So Saul said, bring a burnt offering and peace offering here to me. And he offered the burnt offering. Now it happened as soon as he had finished presenting the burnt offering that Samuel came. And Saul went out to meet him that he might greet him. Now Samuel said, what have, I, what have you done? Saul said, when I saw that the people were scattered from me and that you did not come within the days appointed and that the Philistines gathered together at Michmash, then I said, the Philistines will now come down on me at Gilgal, and I have not made supplication to the Lord. Therefore, I felt compelled and offered a burnt offering. And Samuel said to Saul, you have done foolishly. You have not kept the commandment of the Lord your God, which commanded you, for now the Lord would have established your kingdom over Israel forever. But now your kingdom shall not continue the Lord has sought for himself a man after his own heart, and the Lord has commanded him to be commander over his people because you have not kept the Lord, kept what the Lord commanded you. Saul, determining that things weren't going as fast as he thought they should go, took matters into his own hands 
to get things done. He had not made supplication to the Lord. He basically says, I don't need to wait on Samuel. It's almost as though he said, I'm the king, I'm going to go ahead. Clearly, the ends don't justify the means. If his true desire was the, uh, the, to, to make supplication to the Lord for God's help, then he should have done it in a way that pleases the Lord, and he did not. He took it into his own hands. It's kind of like when you're tempted to do something wrong, and you think, if I just hurry up and do it, it'll be okay. You know it's sin, but you, you kind of do it up, so maybe nobody will catch you, or maybe you think it's okay. But here's Saul saying, uh... I can't wait anymore. I just need to go ahead and do it. And so he takes on the role of the priest. He takes on something that he's not supposed to do. Because he wants to justify his actions. He tells, he's trying to make reasoning justification to Samuel why he did what he shouldn't do. See, the problem there is, as I read one of the commentaries, Saul was, he was the king, but see, if he took on those priestly duties, he would start bringing his control together. Some of you that know world history, you know how that the, how kings justified their actions because they felt they were appointed they felt that they were justified, they could do whatever they want. They, they claimed in the name of God. We even know of kings, right, that created their own church called the Anglican Church because they wanted to get some divorces and do some things that weren't consistent with the Catholic Church. And so the Anglican Church was created. And that king put himself in the, in the lead of things. But we have Samuel here. Samuel here, telling him no. Now you don't. Now you're not going to. Your kingdom's not going to continue. It's not going to be passed down because Saul sped things up. Saul couldn't wait to do it the way God the way God wanted to do it. Saul sped it up. That's not really waiting on the Lord, is it? See, waiting on the Lord means. The longer I wait, the more faith I've got to extend. I've got to trust. Because I really want to pick it up and take care of it. I really want to do it myself. I, you know, the way my mind's thinking, this is the action that needs to take place. And, and I can't wait. And so let me take it, take it, take it on myself. I can't wait any longer. So that's the question, are you, are you waiting on God? Are you waiting on his command and on his direction? Are you elevating your need to know the outcome? Because if you know what the outcome is, you, kind of can, you, you can make more choices on what you're going to do and how you're going to approach it. And it gives you some control. That you can control it. Because you know it. 
It gives you a little bit more control, and it's, it, it, it's less of that unknown, and it doesn't quite stretch your faith the same way. Maybe you've been in that situation. It's like, if God doesn't give me my answer, this answer soon, I'll miss out. This is a great deal. I, I want God to let me know if I should buy this thing, whatever it might be, but this is a great deal. And if I don't hurry up and do something, I'll miss out. And then, then we might just hurry up and say, well, we take on ourselves. And it could be the reason that God isn't telling us to go ahead. It's because he's actually telling us no, and you're just not listening. He's actually telling us no, I know you think this is a great deal. You ever been sitting down and have those people try to sail to you on those, uh, um, those travel things, you know, timeshares? And those people are really good salespeople. And they tell you all those kinds of things. And I've sat in those meetings and it's like, well, this is pretty good. And then it's like, boom. I feel it in my spirit that this is a bad deal. So then I have to pull out. Maybe it's looking for a car and you're like, oh yeah, this makes sense and stuff. And it's like, oh, something's wrong. I might even not know where it is and it's like, this is a bad deal. But sometimes we're waiting on the Lord and the reason we're waiting and he's not telling us is he might be telling us no and we just can't hear it. Because we want what we want the result to be. We don't want to miss out on the deal. You ever known people that they buy things just because it's a great deal? And then you go in their house and it's full of great deals of things that they don't need. But then they don't have the room to enjoy their space or maybe they don't have the money now to enjoy the other thing that was going to come up. That, next, that thing that was a crisis to pay an electric bill because they had to buy the deal. It becomes a challenge. Maybe, maybe we don't, maybe we know God doesn't want us to do it. And we feel the Spirit's leading us that we shouldn't, shouldn't be doing this, but we're telling people that we're waiting on God to help us, and we're praying that God will help us in the decision. And we're elongating, trying all kinds of reasons to find a way that God's actually telling us that we should when it might be that he's actually telling us that we shouldn't. And we know, but we're, we're trying to hope that maybe he'll change his mind. And we try to pull out all and look for other ways to discern God's will. It's not necessarily that we're trying to discern God's will, and we can claim that we're trying to discern God's will to make sure that we get it right, and that might be true. But it also might be that we actually already know what he's trying to tell us, we just don't like the answer. We might be getting ourselves worked up in our mind to the point of crisis. It's like, if he doesn't tell me soon, there's only one option it can be. I can only do it this way, and if he doesn't tell me soon, that option goes away, and then where will I be? 
I'll be trusting in God to come up with the actual solution that he wanted to tell me about is where I'll be. Of course, the other can be true, too. If God's telling you to do something and you're trying to find a reason to not do it. God's telling you to do something and you claim to be waiting on the Lord, but actually you're waiting on you to actually say yes. I'm just waiting on God to give me the direction, to give me a peace about the direction. The peace about the direction might be you surrendering your will so that you're in the center of God's will to do what it is He's asked you to do. Don't claim to be waiting on the Lord when you already know what it is that He wants you to do and you just don't want to do it. You know, you think about waiting on the Lord. I think some other scriptures when talk about waiting on the Lord, you think about somebody waiting or serving God. I don't think it's serving God when you claim to be waiting on His direction and it's just you being stubborn. It's not being obedient. Now what He might be asking you to do is scary. But you would be better off being in the center as well. So it sounds like, I, and, and I am, I'm kind of playing this um, both ways. The best place is be in the center of God's will, not lagging behind while He's telling you to go. So you're kind of out of center of the, of the, of the, of the bubble. You're out of balance. If you think of a, a level or you think of a, you know, sometimes you got on your phones now where you got the balance that's got the little bubble in the middle. You don't want to be where you're lagging behind and God's saying it's time to go. I need you to do this. But you also want to be like Saul, like I'm taking this into my own hands because I'm tired of waiting on you. You're tired of waiting on God. Because God, if you, we don't hurry up, then, oh, God doesn't know that. Okay. Do we really trust Him with the outcome? Remember we talked about a few weeks ago that we have to be in a place of surrender so that we can hear His voice. And if we hear His voice and we are obedient to it, we can stay in the center of God's will. But see, if you get out of the center of God's will, then you start owning the results. That's something you can be stressed about. If you're walking outside of God's will, you should be stressed about that. We need to wait on God. Wait on God's direction. Don't get in such a hurry because we're impatient. Or we're not trusting. Our need to know creates its own crisis. Waiting on God. Waiting on God. It's okay, this is just one of my old hymnals. I sang a song to the congregation, a chorus. I'm not going to sing it here, I'll, I'll read it to you. I know the Lord will make a way for me. I know the Lord will make a way for me. If I live a holy life, 
shun the wrong and do the right, I know the Lord will make a way for me. You know, if when we're in such a hurry to get something done because we think that God wants a particular outcome, that we do the wrong, that doesn't work. If we think we, and I've been without work before, I've been in those situations, and you're, and you're desperate for work, and you get in that interview, and you know what the answer is that they want. If you recraft your answer to satisfy the hearers because you, you know that this could be your last job, and you need one desperately to lie to the people that are interviewing you to say that you can do something that you can't do, works outside of that boundary. Remember we talked about the Bible being our boundary and how we conduct ourselves? That's not doing right. That's doing wrong. So that we can get the outcome we want. That's not going to honor God, and God's not going to honor that in return. But if we shun the right, wrong, and do the right, and we live that holy life, He will make we have to trust that if we walk a life in holiness, walk a life in obedience to God, that these crises, both real and perceived, we can give both of those to God and that He will make a way for us. Let's be standing together. But Father God, we know that life is made up of lots of different decisions. Some are very consequential. And Lord, help us to learn in the little things of life how to hear your voice and be obedient even in the little so that in the larger things that we would listen to you. But help us to wait on the Lord. Help us not to turn things that aren't a crisis into a crisis because we want you to conform to our timeline and our need to know. But Lord, even in the greatest crises, and even that includes the crisis of health, we know, Lord, that you'll make a way for us. Oh, Lord, help us to trust in you. Help us to be obedient to you. Help us to be in the center of your will, not lagging behind because we're waiting for you to change your mind when we know what we should do, but also not getting so much of in a hurry because we're concerned. We have to know that we lose the opportunity for you to come and show up at the right time, on time, with your perfect timing, with the perfect solution that we couldn't even have imagined. You were working out all the pieces and parts and get everything lined up so that this solution that you have can come together in the right time. But, Lord, help us not to mess it up, to get ahead of you. But help us to be patient. That patience requires trust. It requires faith. It requires obedience. 
and help us to be in that place and be with those that are in serious crisis of life and death kinds of things, that your sweet peace and comfort will go to them. They will rise up with wings like eagles. And that you would touch them and strengthen them. For all things work together to good to them that love God and are the called according to his purpose. Lord, sometimes we have the pains of life, but we know that that good might be it's in eternity. And that we can have peace and comfort in you there as well. Bless us, we pray in Jesus' name.